You're listening to the Today in the Word radio podcast. This week, we bring you a five-part series of messages David Burnham presented on The Will of God at MBI Spiritual Emphasis Week 1976. David Burnham was a senior pastor for 30 years and was a pastor and teacher with RBC Ministries on their television and radio programs. Now, here is David Burnham on Today in the Word radio. It's always a joy in the sharing of the Word of God to share it in a living context with people, faculty members who beat me in ping-pong, some students who brought me some brownies last night, but also in the reality of our daily lives of dining halls, studies, responsibilities of relationships. God's Word is alive. It is alive. To hear these four young men sing of the purpose and direction that comes to a heart that has been opened to fellowship and obedience in the will of God. The world today sings a different song. There are those who are trying to find purpose and meaning in life, and they're trying to find love. It was Barbara Streisand who sang, I wanted the music to play on forever. Have I stayed too long at the fair? I wanted the clown to be constantly clever. Have I stayed too long at the fair? I bought me blue ribbons to tie up my hair, but I couldn't find anybody to care. The merry-go-round is beginning to slow now. Have I stayed too long at the fair? Oh, Mother dear, I, I know you're very proud. Your little girl in gingham is so far above the crowd. No, Daddy dear, you never could have known that I would be successful yet so very much alone. I wanted to live in a carnival city with laughter and love everywhere. I wanted my friends to be thrilling and witty. I wanted somebody to care. I found my blue ribbons all shiny and new, but now I've discovered them no longer blue. The merry-go-round is beginning to taunt me. Have I stayed too long at the fair? There is nothing to win and no one to want me. Have I stayed too long at the fair? Have you mastered Pilgrim's Progress? Do you know what it's like when Christian visits Vanity Fair? I'm sure that Barbara Streisand was not singing about Vanity Fair, but as a child of God, the carnival city seems so exciting. And so often, even as a child of God, we think the world offers the greatest entertainment of all. And yet the Lord Jesus Christ said, Come, come unto me, and I will give you the greatest adventure you'll ever know. Take up the cross and follow me. We have been looking at the will of God. and We have also used illustrations from the Old Testament to give to us some insight into that lifetime potential, that fulfilling marriage, meaningful family life. And as we open the Old Testament, someone says, why study the Old Testament? May I encourage you to master the Old Testament as well as the New? May I encourage you to master and study church history? That it's important even to study the history of our world it was Richard Hofstetter and the progressive historians who said this concerning history. Memory is the thread of personal identity. History, 
of public identity. To visit a people who have no history is like going into a wilderness where there are no roads to direct a traveler. The people have nothing to which they can look back. The wisdom and the acts of their forefathers are forgotten. The experience of one generation is lost to the succeeding one. And the consequence is that the people have little attachment to state policy, has no system, and their legislature has no decided character. And you know the believer today who fails to learn the lessons that God has given to us in his word. Even the Apostle Paul said that God gave Moses and the children of Israel not only as realities, entities that actually occurred in history, time, and space, but they are in samples. They provide for us examples of how God is working in our life. Primarily, the will of God is to study the character of God, the omnipotence of God, the omniscience of God, the holiness of God, the mercy of God, the truth of God. Oh, when you praise the Lord to glorify God in whatsoever we eat and drink, but to glorify God should also be to praise the very character of God, to recite his works and to recite his character brings praise to the name of God. We've come to that area of God's will that relates to a lifetime partner. When we talked of lifetime potential, there are those that may never marry. There are those that may choose by God's direction in their life to serve the Lord in the single estate. And God will equip you through your lifetime potential in service in a ministry that is worldwide, but a ministry that begins in your own heart with knowing confidence that you are fearfully and wonderfully and skillfully made, that you are equipped by the Spirit of God for the wisdom for this hour, that you have been given by God a love and that you are loved and you are beloved and you are be mercied as you are accepted in the beloved. And you can go anywhere in the world, even if alone, and you are not alone, for the Lord Jesus Christ is with you. The Lord Jesus Christ is your protector, your provider. He is also the one who has given to you purpose in living among the society of mankind. If by the direction of God and the opportunity that God brings into your life and by his design, there is to be a partner for your life, know the principles of fulfilling marriage. And there we talked about God's principle of companionship, monogamy. We talked about the permanency design of that relationship. We spoke about the fulfillment that comes in the design that God said they too shall be one flesh. They were naked. They were not ashamed. God had given fulfillment to that relationship. Out of the oneness there comes procreation. God ordains a, a social unit. And by that social unit for society, God illustrates his love for Israel and his relationship to that nation. And the Lord Jesus Christ illustrates his love for the church by the relationship of a bride. It's an important principle to know. Whether you are single or married, we should understand God's principles concerning the selection of a partner, the purpose of marriage for our life. We then turn to Genesis chapter 24. And in Genesis 24, there we were introduced to the illustration of Abraham and the selection of a bride for his son Isaac. Isaac is the son of promise. And within this relationship, we discover that Abraham demands of his servant that he is to go to the country 
of his relationships. We discover in Genesis chapter 22 of a relationship that was able to have family and he knew of the background that that family could have. He also knew that the Canaanites in whose land that he would dwell were under the condemnation of God. And the heritage of God was more important than material success that would be gained in marrying a Canaanite. And the very first item that we saw in our list was the spiritual foundation. He said, you shall take a wife for my son from the daughters, not of the Canaanites, but from my country and my people. My country, my people, a spiritual foundation. And then we saw in verse 6 that the servant was not to take Isaac to the woman. Isaac was not to leave the place where God had brought them into the will of God. You do not have to have a spiritual retreat to develop a spiritual marriage. God does not demand a spiritual retreat for a lifetime partner. But instead, God would give to us that spiritual foundation for a spiritual partner within the will of God that is acceptable and pleasing to him. Then the servant was concerned about this, and Abraham was confident that God would aid him because he was aware of supernatural assistance. Spiritual foundation, supernatural assistance. Abraham was confident in his concept of God, the creator of heaven and earth, a God of omniscience and a God of purpose who had decreed, who had provided a land, who had provided a son. Therefore, he could be depended upon to fulfill his promise. Therefore, go. God had given Abraham no new revelation about a bride. There had been no mystical voice come out of the heavens. There'd been no visit of an angel to tell him what to do about selecting a bride. No new revelation. But the principles of the purpose of his life was to honor God. And that honoring God and the altar in praise of glorifying God represented a man who glorified God in his eating, his drinking, but his purpose in life. Therefore, he had confidence in the character of God. And he says to the servant that God will aid you and send his angel before you. And God has promised us that we are to receive through the Spirit of God that ministry that bears witness with our spirit that will guide us into truth. We don't need to overlook reality. Infatuation will not look at imperfection. Infatuation just simply sees the overall glow and the feeling of romance. It doesn't see the reality of differences. It doesn't see the reality of different backgrounds and a value system. But true love sees and chooses with reality and truth because the Spirit of God teaches us that there is God's aid. And I believe the Spirit of God aids us in the opportunities of our life. I'm amazed how many young people get married but actually think that if they'd wait another week or two, they might meet somebody better. I meet guys that always have a periscope. They're always looking around the corner for another girl. You've dated someone like that. They're never looking at you. They're always looking around the dining hall to see what new freshman came in, you know, and, and they're always looking for somebody else and constantly thinking that there's another opportunity out here. But you know, God brought this opportunity in your life. This is where you live. This is the time in which you live. 
I remember that when I was in college, I thought I'd been dating this one girl, and I thought, well, maybe when I get to California, I hear the girls in California are different than any other girls in the world. And I got out to California, and they weren't any different than any other girls in the world. They were girls. But you know, in the comparison, I discovered God had brought some unique opportunities in my life for a particular person that I had to thank God for that timing. I met my wife when I was 15 years of age. We didn't get married that year, but we, I was 15 years of age. I had come from Akron, Ohio to Maranatha Bible Conference at Muskegon, Michigan, and my wife came from South Bend, Indiana, Calvary Baptist Church, on a bus that her mother had to push her onto because she didn't want to go, and she was 15 years old, and I was sitting in the car waiting for my parents to register, griping the whole time that I had to leave Akron to come up to this dumb Bible conference when suddenly I swallowed my tongue. This girl walked by, and I... It reminds me of the story of Dr. R.A. Forrest. Did any of you ever hear Dr. R.A. Forrest, white-haired founder of Toccoa Falls? I remember his story. He said with his white hair and mustache, and when he giggled, he looked like Santa Claus up and down, you know. He said when he walked into this church just one night, he looked in the choir, and there she was. He said when he saw her, all the lights in the place went out. He said that night when he looked at her, he said they sang something. They sang either Nearer My God to Thee or Yankee Doodle Dandy. He said the guy preached out of the Sears and Roebuck catalog or out of the Bible. He has no idea. All he saw was that girl. And he said after the service, lo and behold, she was standing right by the door. And as he started out, he stopped and, and she spoke to him. And he said, you know, young people, he said, ever since I saw her and met her, all other women have looked like prunes. <laughs> and then he twitched his little mustache, but he said, I sure like prunes. <laughs> well, you know, when I saw that girl walk by, 15 years of age, it wasn't love at first sight, but it sure was a strong attraction. Little did I know that six years later she'd become my wife. But you know, that was an opportunity. I hadn't planned to go to Maranatha. She didn't even want to go. Her mother had to make her go. But God brings opportunities into our life. And so the servant prays, and as he comes to that place, he comes to a very good place. He went to the locality that his, his master had sent him, and that was arranged. It was a good place to go because of the heritage of the family. He also came to a well, which was a visiting place and where the women came to. It was a very opportunistic type of schedule. Now, within that, he then started talking about, I've got to determine how to find the right one. And he made service requirements. Service requirements. I believe it's vital to our lives that God would give us a mate that has the same aim in life, the same purpose in life, the same goals in life. When the Apostle Paul spoke about being an apostle to the Gentile, he had set his face to Rome, just like Jesus Christ had set his face to Jerusalem. And there are goals and purposes in our life that when God lays upon our heart direction of our life, we should be able to have a mate that aids in the service assistance requirements. Here was a girl that was sensitive to the need, that responded courteously, that worked hard. She says she even hastened. She did an extra load. Is she willing to take a difficult task and not quit? That's a tremendous test of character of a person. 
Are they willing to take a difficult task and not quit? Service requirements. Now, the particular in there is just testing her with whether she waters camels. The principle is a service requirement. Then from that service requirement, we came to the last part, and I'm still reviewing. And it came to pass, before he had done speaking, that, behold, Rebekah came out. Verse 16. And the damsel was very fair to look upon, a virgin, neither had any man known her. She went down to the well, she filled her pitcher, and she came up. What a tremendous description. She had a sense of beauty, and that beauty was a charm. My wife wrote a little book on the idea of a fascinating woman, and the word fascinating means an irresistible charm. And the woman of God should have an irresistible charm, that which flows from the inner spring that is bubbling up. Even that woman at the well that had had so many husbands whose face would have been hardened because of the many merry-go-rounds that she had been on, it was beginning to taunt her. And yet on that merry-go-round, one day someone said to her, drink of the water that I will give you, and it'll be a well of water springing up into everlasting life. When she went back into that community, something had happened to that hardened woman who had been on a merry-go-round. There was now that inner spring of an irresistible beauty and an irresistible charm of the woman of God. She was beautiful, and she was pure. Oh, may I say today that regardless of the standards of our times, that God honors purity for men and women. It is still God's ideal. It will not frustrate your sex life after you're married that you have not experimented before. It's a lie of our times. They're teaching courses in kinesiology, thinking that we're going to learn how to have fulfillment in our life. And God says fulfillment comes out of character and out of commitment. Oh, the standard that God has given. And the lives of those that have known brokenness claim the forgiveness of God and by God's grace build into your life that purity that comes from having been made clean. And may your life be clean morally. And listen, there's a beauty. I had a number of you ask me, do you really think that's also an external beauty? I certainly do. But I want you to make sure you can define beauty Learn how to define feet that are beautiful because of their glad tidings. And then you'll discover beauty in life. There's a book out telling you how to be happy in marriage and how to be a woman and how to attract your husband. And you're supposed to wear a nightgown and run around the dining room table and wear white boots. I want to tell you that must have been written by a woman, not by a man. Because when I come home at 5 o'clock in the afternoon, I don't have the strength to run around the dining room table. When I come home at 5 o'clock, I want to tell you what's really beautiful. To walk into a kitchen and to be a part of a home that's been busy and working all day and the kids are tired because they've been at school but you're trying to get it together for supper and you come up to that person that you love and you wrap your arms around them and you can maybe kiss just the side of her face and there may not be some French perfume but just a slight fragrance of perspiration because she's been working. But it's beautiful because it's been a part of building together your family and your home. Thank God for the wonderful romantic evenings. Thank God for the laces and thank God for the light music. But thank God for the work that's still beautiful. 
We have let our life and towering over this city, they're broadcast, the playboy philosophy, and we have bombarded our homes with the concept that beauty is a bunny who's under 25 years of age and a body that doesn't have wrinkles and a body that somehow doesn't have any imperfections to it. That's a lie. There's a time when your body is young and strong, but what happens when that body gets broken and hurt? What happens when disease eats away at it? What happens when surgery takes parts of it away? Is that person no longer beautiful? Are they no longer beautiful? Listen, when I look at my life and my body and my wife's body, listen, I know that many times something that may not be as strong and something that may show a scar, it's come because of the birth of our children. Don't say that's not beautiful. Don't say that sometimes when the face shows lines that have been through the fires of prayer and suffering, don't say that that wrinkle's not beautiful. For you see, our concept of beauty's been too warped and too limited to just under 25. I want to tell you that even when your hair is silver and gold, or if you have none at all, when the body is wrinkled and soft, I want to tell you that there's something beautiful about the character of the irresistible charm of someone who has the spring of God in their heart. That's beautiful. And he said to their hearts, he said, within this life, when you have that kind of concept of beauty, something happens to their life. And here's what happens. If it's God's partner for your life, she's not only beautiful, but she's going to respond. He will respond to you. She will respond to you. And so we read that after they had given drink, verse 21, the man wondering at her held his peace to wit whether the Lord had made his journey prosperous or not. He was greatly attracted to what this woman could do and be and share in. But he held his peace for he had to determine where she was from, what her heritage was. It was essential. He held his peace. And then he discovered that she was the daughter of the very family that he had come to observe. And it says he bowed down and he praised God. He gave God worship because of God's direction in the life of selecting a partner. Now, there's a particular in here. Did you notice it as you went along? There's another one in here. When she finished watering the camels, he gave her a gift. He gave her gifts of bracelets, and he also gave her a nose plug. He gave her an earring to stick in her nose. It's amazing how in the King James we've kind of tried to ignore that translation, but in that part of the world it was a beautiful thing to put an object, a piece of jewel, into the right nostril. Now the question really is, if you want to find a beautiful person and have them respond to you, should you give them a nose ring? Try it sometime. <laughs> but there was a response. And if you want to find how that response ends, let's hurry on through to verse 58. And they called Rebekah and they said unto her, Wilt thou go with this man? And she said, I will go. I love that part. You know, in the will of God, there comes that time of the acceptable will that was spiritual foundation with the assistance of God's direction in our heart and through the opportunities that he gives to us and the spiritual requirements that are a part of our life, he brings that beautiful person into our life and there's a response, I will. 
they will respond. And from that response that is decisive, we then discover something about their life. Verse 61, And Rebekah arose and her damsels, and they rode upon the camels, and they followed the man, and the servant took Rebekah and went his way. And Isaac came from the way of the well, Laharoi, with which he was dwelling, or where he was dwelling in the south country. And Isaac went out to meditate. Isaac went out to pray. And here is the other part of the situation. Here is a young man not walking up and down trying to find out in frustration what God's going to do for his life. He is submitted to the will of God and he's praying. He's confident in God's will. He's a man of prayer. He's a man of prayer, confident in the will of God, submitted to the will of God. Now that outline is simple, but the outline begins to work. I'll put it on an overhead here. There's just a part of it right there. And as you write that down, starting with the spiritual foundation at the bottom, and then building your life upon that. You know, I gave you that because I really believe that it works. That little girl that I met when I was 15 years of age, six years later, I invited, I asked of her if she would consider being my wife. And she responded that she would. And you know, I, I find that there's such a beauty to marriage, and today we've almost ruined it by making it sound like it's a trap, it's an iron cage. It is not an iron cage. There's something so beautiful in that companionship and growing relationship. I'm grateful because, you know, God said through the Apostle Paul, let your love be sincere. Hate that which is evil. Cleave to that which is good. That means hug it. That means hug that which is good, and it is good to have marriage. This living together and these arrangements and these trial marriages, it is not good. God has said it is good to commit your life to a person. Well, I thought it was so good that I decided to do that too. And I remember on August the 6th, 1955, we were to be married in South Bend, Indiana at Calvary Baptist Church. We got there and I had all the guys from the ball club and the, the, some of my friends and we were ready and it was a tremendous day. All day long, we went swimming, we played golf, we played touch football, and about a half hour before the wedding, it was time to get ready. Now, girls get ready a little sooner than that, but uh, it was time to get ready. All the guys got ready and took off, and then it, I had to get ready. And I was getting a little bit late now, and so I hurried in there and got out that rented tuxedo, and I put the pants on, and the guy had given me the wrong pair of pants. The pants came halfway up my leg. The other men had gone. The best man was shorter, so I couldn't wear his. And now it was really getting late. I didn't know what in the world to do. Well, that was in the day, and maybe they've come back, but they had these things called cummerbunds, like a big ribbon around the middle you just tie. So the only thing I could do, I dropped those pants down halfway and tied that cummerbund around the top. <laughs> Took off, got to that wedding, just at the side door, and you could hear him going, dum, dum, da, dum. Boy, I thought, here goes the bride, here goes the groom. <laughs> Boy, we got ready. They opened that door, and something happened when they opened that door. 
I looked out there and everybody's smiling and they're just so polite. And I told you, you know, I've had a ball in my arm. I've run into a group of growling maniacs. I've had them with guys foaming at the mouth, everything else. And I wasn't particularly afraid of that. But something happened when I saw all those people politely smiling. My legs froze. And I started to walk and I could barely get my legs out. And people were kind of looking at that crazy college kid, you know. Well, I finally got out there. And as I stood there, my face was just pouring down with perspiration. And all the bridesmaids, you ever notice they're always smiling and laughing? I thought, you, you grinning idiots, this is serious business. I've never been married before. <laughs> oh, boy, I looked there at the back and there, oh my goodness, there she was. She made it, thank the Lord. You know? <laughs> Down the aisle she came with her father. Oh, did she look great. Oh. I stood there and turned around and the minister started in. You know how it goes. Dearly beloved, we're gathered together here in the sight of God in the face of this company to join together this man and this woman in holy matrimony, which is an honorable estate. You, you know. You girls have rehearsed it. You know how it goes. <laughs> well, I was getting along all right. And then they came to that part and the minister turned to me and he said, David, will you have this woman to be your wedded wife, to live together after God in the holy estate of matrimony? Will you love her? comfort her, honor and keep her in sickness and in health and forsaking all others, keep yourself only under her as long as you both shall live, you may answer, I will. You know, I had really messed up. The, I'd been stumbling out there. I had perspiration pouring off my face and I determined I was going to make this a real collegiate, athletic, sophisticated, I will. You know, I, I wanted it to really... And I started to answer, and my cummerbund snapped. <laughs> I grabbed for that cummerbund, trying to hold it together in my pants up. I'm tying a knot in the back of the cummerbund, and the people of the church are laughing. Instead of a wedding, it should have been a funeral right there. So I had to speak, and I said, <clears throat> I will. I stood there utterly devastated. Then while I was standing there, I felt a little finger kind of reach over and touch my finger and felt a little soft hand kind of slip into my hand. And I looked down, here was this little five-foot-two, blue-eyed, black-haired, beautiful cheerleader looking up at me, smiling and squeezing my hand as if to say, that's okay. I don't care whether you squeak it out or what. That's all right. I love you. I love you. I came home from a hospital call. They said, David, hurry to the hospital. Your wife is hemorrhaged. She's in serious condition. I got to the hospital in time, and the doctor came running to me. He said, David, Sue is hemorrhaged. I really don't know if we can save her life, and I doubt that we can save your child. <laughs> I walked into a little chapel there in that hospital. Boy, I could conjugate a Greek verb. My heart was heavy. What about that one that you can remember? That little cheerleader had stuck her hand and said she loved you. And she'd proven it by her life. And now, 
I cried out to God. I said, God, help me. And help Sue and help us together to know that your will is perfect. A few hours later, that doctor came down and he said, David, Sue is well. And God has given you a son. And we called his name Jonathan. In Hebrew, it means gift of God. And I want to tell you that in the will of God, there is that which is good and acceptable. Oh, there have been times I have not been the father, the dad, the, the husband. And I'm so grateful for her love that would give me strength when I was so self-centered. And I'm so glad for that time as a young lady when she slipped her hand into mine and she says, I love you. And I want to tell you that's beautiful. And it's not out of date. Do you know by the very process that you learn the will of God in falling in love, you might very well learn the will of God in a call for vocation? What is falling in love? Have you thought about it? Falling in love. Falling in love. First of all, there's an attraction. Why out of all of these people did that one person appear attractive to you? Why not a six-foot-eight giant? Why did you choose that guy that's only five-foot-seven? You say, only? You didn't even know it, did you? For you see, he was beautiful to you. It's important that the attraction is there. You know, after attraction, that God would have us investigate by two means, communication and observation. God would have us learn that person. He would have us learn. The Lord said that he would give us the desires of our heart, but he also said we are to be seekers after truth. And that truth is something that we speak about. You communicate. You observe that person's life. You don't ignore reality. And so there's investigation of who that person is, what their values are, what their purpose in life is. Within that investigation, I believe in most lives, there comes a concept or the reality of separation. You discover differences between the two of you. You discover a different emphasis. And you begin thinking, maybe I ought to look for somebody else. Maybe there is somebody else. I mean, this is a real difference. And there comes that concept of separation. You may even physically break up and never go with that person for a while. But as you date other people, you discover that there's someone that still has an attraction to your heart, to your mind, to your interest. The separation is there, but then there comes the realization that regardless of those differences that are very real, the realization that you want to present to commit your life to that person. For a Christian marriage is the total commitment of two people to the Lord Jesus Christ as their personal Savior and to each other as partners for life. That's what a Christian marriage is. And so from that time of separation, there then comes that realization and presentation. And that's the beginning of companionship. Now let's take the will of God in life service. Why 
Are you interested in preaching, in missionary work, in journalism? Why are you interested in that? Out of all of the things of Christian service, why was that attractive? I never wanted to be a preacher. I was going to be a professional athlete or go into medicine. I wasn't going to be a preacher. But when I gave my heart to Christ, he put a desire there that suddenly there was an attraction I had never even noticed before. I loved my father. I loved his ministry. But I had never been attracted to the ministry. Suddenly now it was attractive. What is attractive in Christian service? What is attractive in your life? Has God put that attraction there? Investigate it. Investigate it by observing it, learning everything you can about it. Communicate, talk, read, investigate it. And you know, in most of our lives, there'll come that time that we'll think, I'll not do that. That's not what I'll do in my life. I must do something else. I can't do that. There comes that desire to separate. But then there comes the realization, woe is me if I not please God in what God has made attractive to my heart, that which I've investigated and I commit myself to it. It's amazing. When you discover even the will of God, it'll aid you in your discovery of falling in love and what it's like to say, God called me. God called me. Socrates, tremendous teacher, philosopher, had pupils who would come and say, we desire to learn. Socrates was a large man. One day a pupil came to him and said, I desire to learn. Socrates said, follow me. And they walked. They came to a body of water. And at that body of water, Socrates turned to his pupil and he said, do you desire to learn? He said, I do desire to learn. Socrates said, follow me. And the philosopher waded into the water. The water came to his knees, now came to his waist. He stopped again and he said, young man, do you desire to learn? He said, I do, but what in the world? He said, follow me. They continued walking until the water came up to the armpits. And then Socrates said again, do you desire to learn? He said, I do desire to learn. But what? He said, turn around, face the shore. When the pupil turned around to face the shore, Socrates took his hands and he shoved his head underneath the water and he held him there. The pupil couldn't understand what was going on. He's underneath the water, you know, and he thinks there's some kind of a lesson here, but now it's a little bit too long. Suddenly his lungs are crying out for air. But Socrates holds him down. He begins to move, but Socrates held him down. He begins struggling and flailing in the water, but he holds him down. And suddenly when it seems as if his lungs would burst, Socrates lets him go and he jumps up and he says, What are you doing? And Socrates said, My son, when you desire to learn as you desire to breathe, then ye shall know. One day a man said that I might know him and the power of his resurrection, that I might know him. And when you know him, you will learn and you will live. Our Father and our God, thank you for this day and for your word that should encourage our hearts to know that we have purpose and that when we yield our life to you, 
We have not lost it, but we have found it. You've been listening to the Today in the Word radio podcast and a message David Burnham presented on the will of God at MBI Spiritual Emphasis Week in 1976. David Burnham was a senior pastor for 30 years and was a pastor and teacher with RBC Ministries on their television and radio programs. Audio copies of this and many other messages from the podcast are available at moodyaudio.com. Today in the Word Radio is a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of the Moody Bible Institute.